Welcome everyone to the Operation Automation Podcast by Omron, where we are talking all things factory automation. My name is Carrie Lee. I'm the product manager for Sysmac Studio, NJNX Controllers, and NXIO. Sitting here with me is Kenny Heidel. Hi everyone, I'm Kenny Heidel, and I'm a national account manager focusing on channel engagement. Kenny and I are neighbors at our Omron office and would often have conversations at the coffee machine or in the hallways where we would talk about products, new technologies and trends, and of course, the Chicago White Sox. We hope to recreate that time here in our podcast and share it with listeners so that you can learn along with us. So whether you're pouring yourself the first or the fifth coffee of the day, driving to your first appointment, or walking the dog, we hope to help you start your day off right with a little fun and hopefully you learn something new. Kenny, we have a pretty exciting topic to talk about today. We're going to start talking about a pretty trendy term, future factory, and really, how is it going to be? How's it going to be? I think that was better than I thought it would turn out to be. I'm pleased with it this time. Um, <laughs> so today we've got a special guest. We have Mike Chen to talk to us about future factory and what it means for Omron and our customers. Mike, do you want to give us a little bit of your background? Tell us who you are. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. I'm Mike Chen. I'm the Senior Director of Solutions and Technology Development for the Omron Automation Americas organization. Been with the organization for 10 years now in multiple roles between product marketing as well as automation center. So I've uh, been on the engineering track for a while and seen a lot of our customers' applications and uh, very excited to talk to you guys. Absolutely. We're happy to have you. And now, Mike... I'll let Carrie kick it off, but uh, we have some very hard-hitting questions right out of the gate, so just be prepared. All right. This is the hardest one you'll probably get. So, Mike, what's your go-to takeout food order? What's your splurge, your binge? Ah, so uh, pandemic has changed that entire thing, right? So I live in downtown Chicago, and of course there's the traditional eats, but um, there is a Harold's Chicken directly across the street from my place. Mm. They have been getting a little bit more business from us recently with uh, with takeout orders for sure it's so. dangerous proximity huh? fried chicken and uh, and beer it's a it's a good combination cool all right i know what our future podcast episodes can be about <laughs> <laughs> all right second hard-hitting question uh if you have to get a lot of work done what's your go-to music choice what are you going to throw on the headphones and listen to while you do it Uh, embarrassingly, I've only recently become a Spotify member, right? We, we got that as a present from my sister-in-law. And there is the Deep Focus playlist, right? And the Deep Focus playlist, mm -hmm. not a lot of words, a lot of electronic and uh, instrumental and stuff, and just to get in the zone, right? Not to be too distracted by all the lyrics and just kind of get, get in the zone on things. I'm going to have to check that one out because I know I said last time that I... Uh... I do a lot of music sound or uh, movie soundtracks, mm. so I'm gonna have to check that one out. Mm -hmm. Deep focus. Nice. That's such a good gift too. Spotify, Spotify subscription. I'll have to keep that in mind myself. Mike, when you're not um, learning everything you can and teaching everything you can about automation, what what's your favorite hobby? What do you like to do outside of work? I do have two young kids at home, so those chances to have completely free time is not much. But uh, outside of PBS Kids, uh, PBS Kids apps and games and uh, <laughs> and shows, 
Uh, I definitely have been binging on uh, Disney Plus Marvel uh, Marvel movies and Marvel shows. We definitely just wrapped up Loki season mm. one last night. That well, was, please, that was please, nice. no spoilers. No I'm, spoilers. Uh, no spoilers. I, but I was uh, I was satisfied with the uh, with season one. Ah, that makes me even more excited. Well, Mike, we got you on here to you know get your perspective on what. Uh, what you see in the trends, you know, you talked about seeing a lot of customers over your time with Omron, a lot of different applications, and with a lot of really exciting technologies and trends coming out in, in industrial automation. We wanted to hear from you and, list, and listen to, you know, how do you think some of these new technologies and trends are being implemented uh, at our customers in a meaningful way? Really, what I've seen over the past 16 years of being in the industry is that at the beginning of my career, I didn't really find that normal everyday consumers, especially in the Americas, really cared or wanted to know how their products were made, how their food was packaged, how the workers were treated while they were producing or packaging or delivering some of these consumer products to them. And over the past 16 years, uh, definitely seeing the trend where people are more aware. They want to know that uh, workers in that industry were, uh, were taken care of and their safety and well-being was taken into account by their company, by their employer. And on top of that, still maintaining the high level of quality expectation that any consumer would want in buying food or buying an electronic device or buying a car. And so the technologies, I believe, over the last 16 years have definitely gotten into that, followed that trend of making sure that the people involved in production and the people involved in industrial automation are empowered to keep the people safe when manufacturing and when producing uh, products. And also AI technologies can be uh, responsibly applied so that the very skilled workers that we have are enhanced by that capability to make better business decisions. And, uh, and I think that trend is definitely going to continue. The pandemic over the past year has definitely shown a drastic shift in user demand to a lot more rapid um, fulfillment of orders and uh, the massive amount of backlog around the entire industry that we're seeing. There's going to be a lot of technologies needed to optimize the capabilities of our customers. And uh, there's a lot of interesting technologies out there to help them with that. It's interesting to kind of watch the... Um the curve of it, right? It's like you decide, you figure out how you can make this product. Now you figure out how to make that product as fast as you can, as many as you can. And now I feel like we're kind of getting to that apex where with traditional methods of customers had used to make those products prior to, you know, aren't going to get you that much farther as far as throughput, as well as focusing on employee safety. So there's other technologies now that can help support really driving beyond that, that apex where some customers may have gotten to. And I think the apex has traditionally, like you just said, Kenny, has, has been traditionally measured as productivity and production overall. But I think that the amount of waste reduction and de-risking uh, the business end of it from our customer's perspective, I think that's become more of the game-changing uh, business decisions that they're trying to make, right? Where, yes, they know they can make specific products at a certain you know, quantity or volume if they install a very, very intricate and sophisticated but expensive uh, production line. But to adapt to the very rapidly changing demand of customers, maybe 
they need to consider production capabilities that allows them to produce different types mm-hmm. of products and or take in um, different raw materials from different vendors because of global scarcity issues, right? So mm-hmm. there's definitely some new tre- newer or newer trends to the market that are that have been driven by the the pandemic uh, that that has changed things, mm-hmm. changed the calculations. So, Mike, you know, I think you have a lot of interaction with some of our customers and you've talked a lot about the need for flexibility and being able to respond to these changes. How have you seen customers be successful? What are some of the key trends that you've seen among customers who have successfully managed this pandemic and new technology? I still concentrate on the idea of flexibility. There's definitely different ways to be flexible with flexibility in resource management, resource allocation, as well as flexibility in actual production product, making sure that you can satisfy potentially multiple types of demands from the same production line. Uh, I know that there was a recent uh, example brought to my attention about you know, throughout the past year, any you know brewery that was trying to make beer for bars and they typically would sell it in kegs had to rapidly figure out a way how to produce their product and and package it in cans or bottles in order to uh, accommodate for the massive shift of people uh, drinking from home instead of Mm -hmm. at the bar and so the flexibility i think is is key for a lot of the production and industrial automation industry members out there the other part of flexibility has to do with the labor the differences in labor nowadays and making sure that uh, companies and business owners can still produce the amount of needed uh, product mm-hmm. with whatever staff they have available on any given production day. And, and that's been an immense challenge for a lot of customers throughout the industries uh, where we're not sure. We're not sure if all of our employees for all the right reasons will be available at all times. So being able to have technologies that can either enable mm-hmm. remote work, remote monitoring of their production systems or remote maintenance of those production systems and in some cases allowing technologies to supplement the physical capabilities of our workers to optimize their individual output or their individual jobs where uh, their jobs have both the the human aspect of it but the the task oriented aspects and things like robotics things like uh, vision guidance to help uh, to help a human operator or a human quality inspector be able to identify products before they leave production and potentially cause a recall, right? Making sure that those technologies are in place. I think that there's been a lot of a lot more interest now to enhance the capabilities of the workers out there in the industry and, and people are looking to invest. Yeah, I was just reading an article kind of on that topic of enhancing the workers. There was a big manufacturer that they said they're at 60 to 70% automation now of all their tasks. So, you know, getting pretty close to that ultimate, you know, pie in the sky lights out factory. And they have not cut any workers because all they've done is change what they're doing, right? So like you were just saying, Mike, with robots and things like that, a lot of times you had injuries or um, other things. So rather than have it when someone's moving materials around, so rather than having someone move a material around and now that person has some sort of workplace injury, I can put that to the robot and now I can train that person to, to maintain that robot, right? So it's a really interesting 
concept that we think about, you know, you hear a lot of times, oh, automation, we're taking away jobs. In fact, it's, it, there's, it's, we're seeing proof, right, that we're not taking away jobs. We're changing those jobs and letting humans really shine, right? And I think that that's been the longtime goal of Omron as an industrial automation company, uh, mm-hmm. where you know even our founder came up with the uh, idea that, or he came up with the philosophy that to the machine give the work and to humans and people give the thrill of creation. That we as people are uh, are creative beings. We have ideas, ideas that we can, uh, with passion and talent, we can drive change. And the technology is there to help us. So uh, one of the, the one of the the main um, beliefs of our company is that human and machines should be in harmony. Human and robots and machinery and technology mm-hmm. should be in harmony. And in the uh, in our founders' uh, cynic theory, S I N I C, which is um, uh, I should probably not quote that if. I don't know the acronym exactly, <laughs> but uh, seed innovation need impetus, need impetus cycle. Um, the cynic theory of things is that human needs will drive innovation, drive this this technology uh, development and change. And right now, um, as far as the cynic theory goes, uh, our society is in the optimization uh, on the optimization curve where. Even back in the 70s, our, uh, our founder philosophized that, uh, that we would have at some point in our societal history a time when we have too much data. We have too much data and we wouldn't know what to do with it. Think about that. Back in the 70s, he was already theorizing about this stuff. And I think we really have achieved that where we know that we have a lot of production data, both historical and live data. We know that everybody thinks that we should be able to pipe data into a cloud or a database and find some value out of it. But it really still takes experienced automation professionals and, um, and manufacturing professionals and operators and maintenance workers to use their skills, use their expertise, use their experience to take the data that we are able to get and make some better business decisions out of it for both the company and the workers associated with that company so that uh, the companies can grow, the industries can grow, and that our customers, ultimately, our customers are better served with the products and with the uh, capabilities that we have. I have a follow-up question a little bit to that. You know, we talked about, you know, how long you've been with Omron, also how long you've been in the industry, right? Do you have a good example for our listeners as far as like a company that, you know, we don't have to name names or anything, but a company that really implemented and used automation technology, whether it be robotics or something else, and really took their production to the next level. So we could kind of put it in the frame of, uh, of, a, of a real world example for them. Yeah, Kenny, there's a, there's a really interesting recent application that my new group has been involved with. So now my new group, since uh, fiscal year 21, I've been really focused on uh, new technologies that are not quite hitting the market yet at Omron, but we are in alliances and we're, we're kind of growing our alliance portfolio. We're working with alliances on uh, new technologies that could really revolutionize how our customers work. And uh, I mean, the key uh, technology that we're investigating, of course, is how does 5G fit into this picture? And um, when we look at some of our testbed projects where our mobile robot technology, uh, which has traditionally always been managed at a local facility, uh, on a local network in a facility where 
everything has to be on Wi-Fi and all of the uh, job assignments have to be done via a Wi-Fi network. And that also limits the, the amount of physical space that can be uh, that where these mobile robots can be deployed. You know, as we investigate 5G technology and apply that to our mobile robots, right, that's where we think that uh, our customers will be able to utilize a, a private 5G network to really locate every single robot on their facility and securely manage all the jobs in that facility without having to do a predefined layout. It's kind of more of a layout-free facility where they can still optimize their production floor, physically optimize their production floor, and, and also simultaneously deploy mobile robots and AMRs across that geography. Mm-hmm. And for uh, for for me, who's not as much of a an expert like you guys on uh, on the Wi-Fi versus the five G, give me a little quick synopsis. Why why is it beneficial? Like, what is what does five G enable that Wi-Fi um, doesn't allow in that type of of application? So first of all, five G would with a private five G network, which is what mm-hmm. a lot of the people that are interested in it would be uh, investigating, is that. Mm-hmm. There is simply that you can uh, deploy it on a broader uh, a broader footprint, right? It's not just like I mean, in our office, right? You and I have been, you know, we were always in the office beforehand, but in mm-hmm. you know, just stepping one foot out of the office, right? Just one foot out of the office, your Wi-Fi signal completely drops off, ah, right? Okay. And having the flexibility and and having the flexibility for five G uh, signal and and wavelength, being able to uh, deploy your mobile robots, in this case, across a place without having to be so uh, so careful about exactly where the cutoff point is on, mm-hmm. on, on drop-off radio signal, right? Uh, on top of that is the, in, is the built-in security measures that 5G technology enables, where the authentication on the 5G network to make sure that the job, uh, the job assignment is being presented from the right source and you mm-hmm. are reaching the right robot mm-hmm. and uh, having some inherent technological advantages on the cybersecurity front using the 5G capabilities, that's something that we're very interested in as well. Nice. That uh, that perfectly explains that. It makes much more sense. <laughs> so switching gears a little bit, Mike, you know, another, obviously you see every day you hear about more and more skilled labor shortages, right? Uh, so we're interested in kind of your perspective on how... Um, how can automation help that? You know, everybody, if it's like every day you hear about, um, it's harder to come by, uh, skilled labor, uh, where does automation fit into solving that challenge? So I think that really all of our customers that have been in this type of predicament worldwide have really needed to be honest with themselves as well as what is their true value? What is their true value to their customers? And I think that across all of the uh, all of our, our members in in Omron, it's that uh, we sell a lot of product, but the products enable our customers to optimize their production and solve their business needs for their specific industries. So I really I've always advised um, uh, customers and internal members that uh, that we when we talk about technology is what is the business need? What is the business challenge that we are trying to solve for our customers or what the customers are trying to solve for their customers? Mm-hmm. What is that business need and what is that true value that they bring different than any other um, competitor that they have? So uh, the idea of of automation technology uh, unilaterally kind of solving it. It's not exactly right. I think it's more that if you, it's not 
exactly the way that I would think about it. it it's that um, going to our customers, having the conversations with them on what their business needs are. There's a lot of product out there. There's a lot of automation uh, technology, but what is it that they want to provide to their customers that they are not able to do yet? Because either for one, like you're saying, they don't have enough band- human bandwidth. Maybe they don't have enough human bandwidth. Or maybe uh, the, the, the market has gone to uh, a, a type of service model that they are not able to keep up with at their current production rates or their current um, batch sizes, where they, their current production systems require a scalability that, uh, that they don't have right now, right? So the industrial automation products that we sell are, are really to enable our customers to solve individual business needs where they can talk to an automation professional from Omron and get these uh, ideas out there where we want to put the horse in front of the cart, not the cart in front of the horse. The mm-hmm. business need has to be the focus up front. What does the customer uh, need to do to, ser- to serve their customers and grow their business? And uh, what type of options um, through products, technologies, and services can Omron provide to be able to assist them with that? Yeah, you know, Mike, that always makes me think of the first time that I, I met you at Omron. And you always said, you know, customers a lot of times are really worried about, you know, robots replacing human jobs, right? And you were like, this is not, you know, that, that, that famous robot movie where robots take over the world. But uh, there's multiple of those, Kenny. Yes, Wally. Yes. Now, yeah, I don't know how many. Wally. Are now. Probably, <laughs> probably enough for hands and feet to count, right? Um, but what you said is really robots. Instead of taking those jobs away, it enables those people to perform other tasks that are higher value to that company, and also allows them to become even more skilled at the at the jobs that they're doing. Yeah, and uh, the great memory on that uh, is that. Uh, I think that that's really embodied by this uh, idea from Omron that to the machine, give the work to people, give the thrill of creation. That what is a job, right? A job is not a a human job. A human job is not only the tasks that you do, but the value that you as a human worker bring to the company or bring to the customers. And the, the robots, the automation technology, they're programmable to execute on specific tasks and ideas and optimizations that humans empower them to do. Uh, and ultimately, it is to further enable uh, the human workforce to uh, create more value and more, I guess, uh, user satisfaction and customer satisfaction uh, in the way that uh, we as a society need companies to do. You know, So exactly, I, I've, uh, I think that that is exactly what Omron wants to be a part of, the harmony between human and machine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that harkens back to an episode Kenny and I did before about the changing demands of the workforce, right? So I think that aligns us as well as our customers to provide the type of jobs people want and keep that employee retention, right? People want to continue to work in that job hop when you're satisfied in your role. Um, so we're kind of getting close to the end of our time here, Mike. This has been really fun and really interesting. But, you know, if we were to kind of say, what are the three key components of Factory of the Future? What would you say those are for our listeners? So definitely at Omron, we have three main focuses in the industrial automation technologies uh, that we are developing for the future. 
all of our technologies have to uh, be some way and shape directly involved in integration or of, of multiple technologies or interactive technologies that improve the usability to our customers or the safety of our customers and intelligence, right? The intelligence, interactive and integrated mantra is something that we've been following for a while and we think it's been working well for us. And that really plays into what uh, the factory of the future is for the industry where um, factories of the future need to be able to accommodate the changing needs of the people working there where interactive technologies that can keep them safe and keep them productive even as the demands change by their customers uh, that is going to be a design criteria for how uh, manufacturers go in the future the other part is consistently optimizing what type of value you can bring to your end customer through uh, past data or past uh, experience from your workers and being able to constantly outperform your previous year based on either improvements and investments in technology or, uh, or, or utilization of your workforce in a different way. So the flexibility there to make better business decisions based on everything that you've learned up to that exact moment or that point. Right? And then the integration of technologies where we do see the trend and we fully believe that the factory of the future will have all the technologies in their production systems uh, tied together very, very tightly for not only the reason of um, a business reason of uh, reducing the overall risk to uh, performance, but uh, all the technologies are becoming more interoperable and the customers require them to become more interoperable. And interoperability means that all of our robots and our vision systems and our uh, laser marking for MVRC can all be tied together in a way that makes the mistake proofing more possible for our customers so that they can think about just designing and producing products, not necessarily all the automation technologies needed to get them there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you kind of think about it too, even from bringing some things in from the consumer world, right? I want my phone to talk to my watch, to talk to my garage door, to talk to my lights in my house. You want everything to kind of, you know, mesh and work together. I, I, I see that similar mindset starting to transition more into an industry that, you know, historically has had a lot of the tribal knowledge like you talked about. And now people are starting to really optimize their production floor and, and see what they can do better. Yep. That's what we see too. Well, Mike, really want to tell you how much we appreciate your time. I feel like I really learned a lot. It makes me excited, even more excited to come in to work every day and keep working here at Omron on this, all this cutting edge technology and see what's happening here in the factory of the future. Hold on a sec, Harry. Hold on. Hold on. We can't let Mike leave without <laughs> trivia. Oh, you always remember. Thanks, Kenny. I do. I do. All right, Mike. Put your thinking right. cap on, okay? All right. Let's do this. Your trivia question, should you choose to answer, which you have to because you're obligated. <laughs> Who invented the first PLC and is known as the father of the PLC? Uh, I don't know that. Is it Nick Infelice? <laughs> Ooh. That should have been like one. Like if there was a 1A answer, that's like 1B. Okay. Uh, the answer is Dick Morley. Okay. Bonus question, which I'll see if I can give you a multiple choice on this one. When was the first PLC invented? 
Option A, 1975. Option B, 1950. Option C, 1968. Option D, 2021. I'm gonna go with 1968. Boom. Nailed it. Thanks for the options. (laughs) (laughs) No problem, no problem. We thought we, you know, some of our previous guests, we had given multiple choice and then they absolutely crushed the trivia anyway, but no problem. No problem. That was a, that was a real, more multiple choices, please. More multiple multiple choice, more multiple choice, more multiple, multiple choice. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Um, Always enjoy talking to you. Always feel like I come away learning something and you did it once again. So thanks again. Yes, Mike. We appreciate your time. Absolutely. Good to see you guys. You too. You too. Thank you, everyone, for joining Kenny and me for the Operation Automation Podcast. If you have topics you would like to hear discussed on future episodes, please send them to our email address, omronnow at omron.com, with podcast idea in the subject line. All of the cool things you learn on this podcast can be found on automation.omron.com. Until next time, we put the fun in factory automation.